Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg with Altus Performance, and we are excited to share another big one with you this week. Last week, we posted our conversation that Cam and I had with Patrick Cantley, number six in the world, and we're pretty pumped to follow that up with yet another player in the top 10, two in a row. We've got Xander Shoffley this week, and the conversation that we have with Xander touches on a lot of the similar threads as ones that we were trying to unpack with Patrick and that we're always trying to identify those pivotal moments in a great player's development so that we can offer you, the listener, not only something that's inspirational, but hopefully informative and something that you can take action on. But this conversation presents a pretty cool contrast to what we shared last week with Patrick, just because Xander has taken a slightly different path to getting to a similar point. Uh, He didn't really play a lot of AJGA golf growing up, wasn't necessarily seen as this prodigal world beater at a young age like many of his peers in the top 10 in the world. And despite that, his record in his first three seasons on the PGA Tour is unassailable. He's finished third, 15th, and second on the FedEx Cup so far in his three seasons. And he's only played in 11 majors and already has five top six finishes. So obviously we're expecting more great play in the majors coming up this year. And and the big questions that we tried to answer in this interview outside of just telling his origin story were understanding the relationships that have really supported that rise. Specifically, his dad has been his coach his whole life. Uh, And then that brought us into a conversation about how important Xander's relationship has been with his caddy and how that's evolved along with but what about his prep and mindset has allowed him to perform so well at these tough major venues? And Xander shares a, a bit about some of the mental habits that he's developed and what his self-talk sounds like in those big moments. So there's that and much more in nearly an hour conversation with one of the best players in the world. And before we share it with you, a quick shout out to one of our partners, Total Golf Trainer, which is a training aid that you might have seen us use on Instagram. We've been using it a ton lately here at Altus. We highly recommend that you check that out. The Total Golf Trainer line of products are designed to provide instant feedback for golfers of all skill levels to help solve a wide variety of swing issues. And we haven't really seen an issue that it can't solve from path issues to improving club face control and even body mechanics. Pretty much any issue that you have, the Total Golf Trainer can help. The 3.0 kit is the first multi-tool training aid that is completely custom to your golf swing with the easy to use adjustable training rods that can be attached to your club or your body, and you can increase or decrease the difficulty level so anyone from juniors to beginners to pros will all benefit. We've enjoyed getting creative to find all the different ways that we can use the Total Golf Trainer, and they've got some great videos on their website that show it in use. So to learn more and watch those videos on how to improve your game with the Total Golf Trainer, visit TotalGolfTrainer.com or find them on social media at Total Golf Trainer. But now, on to our episode. Another successful campaign, another successful year. What is the few off weeks around Christmas time? What does it produce for you and then um, how are you planning on getting ready for defending next week? Uh, pretty simple. I mean, I, I think I try to treat every off week similar, sort of a, a reset or reboot, I call it. Fortunately, I, I love home. So I, I live here in San Diego and I love coming home and spending time here. It is a bit chilly right now so and a bit rainy. So practice has been somewhat limited. So in this moment, recently, it's just been more gym time, movement patterns, hanging out with friends, just trying to get... I always try and work on my game somehow, whether it's uh, physically or, or through a skill set or even just keeping my mind sort of at a balance point. Um, that's sort of what I try and do in my off weeks. Gotcha. 
is there something that you might be uh, reading and reflecting on in like from from last year's performance and kind of establishing new goals for the coming season? Yeah, of course. There's definitely a it's not a broad look, I guess, or sort of a specific look at stats where we all improved. Hopefully, didn't get worse in any stats. That's the the plan during the year. But yeah, just just a general look at the stats. Um, I think we all kind of look at similar numbers, whether we have a statistician or not. But just you know, trying to improve those things in, in, in small amounts. Nice. Hopefully, we can pull on those types of threads a little bit more as the conversation goes on. But given that our audience is a vast number of developing youth slash collegiate golfers. Your story is particularly intriguing, I imagine. Uh, it certainly is, as Corey and I did more research on you. So we want to take it uh, all the way back, perhaps, growing up in San Diego or more specifically Scripps Ranch. And you're so close to Miramar Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess watching all those jets day in, day out coming in, do you ever, ever have visions of joining the Air Force like your dad had done back in Germany? No, it never really <laughs> crossed my mind. It was never forced upon me either to to be a, a military kid but uh, yeah it was i did see the blue angels they, they fly over you know constantly i live in bankers hill here in san diego so I, I see planes a lot i didn't even really think about it a whole lot but growing up definitely surrounded by a lot of airplanes how was your early involvement in golf how did that come about can you give us an idea of kind of what the earliest stages of that looked like it was as simple as my dad played golf with his friends on the weekend, and um, I played soccer growing up. Um, my dad's European, mom's Asian, so I never really got into American sports, I'd say, in terms of baseball or football. I wasn't allowed to play football, but um, never had a whole lot of interest in baseball, unfortunately. Kind of played recreationally in you know in high school or middle school, but besides that, it was just soccer growing up, and, and pops played golf, and I always wanted to play, and he told me I can... I can come out with him once I can carry my own bag. So that kind of started me up when I was about nine years old. Yeah. Like I said earlier, did doing some research. I think Corey came about the knowledge nugget on how competitive you were as a soccer player and couldn't stand losing. How did that kind of impact your decision to shift from soccer into golf? It was simple. I I was young, but I, yeah, I'm pretty competitive and we kept losing. You know, I, I felt like I was doing my job as a, a sweeper. Um, and maybe I wasn't doing my job because I guess <laughs> your job is to stop goals, right? Our, our forwards weren't doing a whole lot back then. So you figure they can score more than one goal, but it was, it was a team sport and I just, I couldn't stand losing. And I sort of learned, uh, at an early age, golf is very independent, lonely at times, but you know, everything you do is, is on your own account for the most part. And that was sort of the attraction. Is there anything that with your dad being involved in sport or even grandparents that were involved in sport and soccer in Europe, anything about growing up in the household that you think kind of nurtured that competitiveness that you had? I know you have an older brother as well. Maybe that was part of it. Yeah, of course. I think there was like normal banter with my brother. We're, we're close then, still very close now. And we play most, almost all sports together growing up. So I think that was, and he's three years older than me. So that probably brought out some of the competitive edge, I'd say, and having my dad sort of mentor me from a young age. He's a German, really a German guy. So if you can imagine what it's mm-hmm. like to have a father, he's very, uh, I don't know, disciplined, strict, you know, there's other words for it. But I think that <laughs> we have brought out, you know, a more uh, naturally competitive, I don't know, mindset just because of how he raised us. 
Is there a, an event around that sticks out in your mind, possibly a personal best score from when you were junior golfer that gave you uh, further fuel to the fire that said, I want to develop into being an elite player? You, you know, not really. You know, I think I had a friend that I grew up with, still a friend now, and he plays on his, uh, the Japan tour overseas. We grew up playing since we were about 10 years old. And we sort of, I feel like that fueled my fire more so than anything. We were, he was better than I was, uh, when, when we were growing up, um, still a great player now. And we play a lot now and we're still competitive to this date. And I think we, we've brought the best out in each other, um, day to day, whether it was who would show up to the course earlier, who would stay there longer, who would putt longer, who would chip more, who would play more holes that day. I think that's sort of what kept me going and, and had, and also had fun at the same at the same time. Interestingly enough, and I didn't know this until researching for this, you didn't play uh, all but any but one AJGA tournament. And the question that came to mind was, I wonder how, if at all, it affected you seeing maybe the rankings list or uh, coming out of the same class as Jordan and JT when they played in their tour events at 16 years old and made cuts. Uh, again, the question begs, I wonder if it affected you at all, gave you either further motivation, because there, clearly there are players out there and parents out there who think the pathway to playing college and potentially beyond that is uh, kind of exemplifying themselves as players early in like 12, 13, 14 years old. But your story is uh, the complete opposite of that. Yeah. I do remember very clearly watching the boys on TV um, when I was, you know, barely got my driver's license. They were making cuts in PGA Tour events. That was that was a very motivating factor for me at that age. You know, I I was always a late bloomer. I think with with everything that I did, so I started, you know, playing tournaments or the whole jumps. My parents are foreigners, so the whole jump start into and the whole process of getting into college was, was rather late. I think I was 15 when I sort of tried to get a scholarship and that was a late jump start. Most kids, like you said, are starting super early. AJJ is, is a, is a great tour. They do a nice job. It's just expensive. If you look at, you know, the, the overall cost for a year on that circuit, if you want to call it, it's quite expensive uh, just for, for, you know, for the average family to pay with travel and invitationals and, and all that stuff. So I sort of stuck to the SCPGA Toyota Tour Cup two-day, could drive to every tournament. It was super easy. College uh, scouts or coaches would come out um, to those events as well. So I, that was sort of the best bang for your buck, and, and that's sort of the route I took. There's another quote that I read that you, I guess, listed in a recent article. I've always felt like I was mentally tougher than the other kids. I always wanted it more. I was sort of this grinder who would never quit. And if I ever felt sorry for myself, uh, my dad and I would have this two-hour talk. Can you take us back into one of those two-hour talks and the message, uh, the theme that came out of it that then further cultivated that um, uh, mental toughness? Yeah, it was simple. Again, you know, my dad was very – there was nothing – hidden in our communication or our line of communication it was a very simple task um, parents were working when i was you know i don't think 13 13 14 sort of when i started to take golf pretty seriously i was a bit of a knucklehead at an early age just because my parents weren't home as much um, and my brother was older <laughs> and he'd be with his friends so i had like a regular teenager yeah, yeah. Well, probably worse than worse than the regular one. There was a time where you know my dad's not dumb, and he kind of knew what I was doing uh, at a young age, and so he we had a sit down conversation, which was 
very important. He told me that he will treat me as an equal, even though I am barely a teenager. And he said, I will support you if you decide to go down this path uh, of golf. And he says, if you do not want to do that and, and continue um, exploring as a teenager, um, he goes, I will love you and support you in that as well. He just says, you, you just need to decide what you want to do, because if you want to be great at something, you have to, you know, have a little bit of sacrifice and, and quit what, what normal kids would like to do. So I think from that age, I don't know, I think it may, maybe made me tougher in the end, but it was a pretty weird time for me just in terms of trying to figure out if I really want to do this or not. And I was, I was young, you know, it's kind of hard for a 13 or 14 year old to, to put all eggs in one basket. And all our conversations were about sort of my commitment level. Why do I want it? How much, you know, why is it important to me? So they were rather, I'd say, mature conversations that my dad had and spent time with me, even though I was, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old. So those conversations are, you know, while I guess a little bit more advanced and kind of adding to your maturity, there's a whole nother layer when you then add on that your dad is your coach. And I don't think anybody can argue with the results that you guys have put together, but it's not really there's not very many other instances of that dynamic being as successful. Justin Thomas being one of them. Yeah. Well, there's a few of them. And so what do you think that your, your dad did to make it work when there's a lot of times where it fails and can often be detrimental to either the relationship or the, the player's development? Yeah. Uh, patience would be the key word. You know, I'm, cool. I was a punk, honestly, you know, I was, <laughs> I was trouble. I was an angry kid. I wanted to fight him all the time, physically and verbally. I was I was bad, and he was very patient. You know, I, I have more appreciation appreciation now than I don't have any kids. Uh, you know, barely have a puppy here. But from a parenting standpoint, he took his time. You know, it, it just shows how much he cared and and how patient he was. Once I said that I was committed to this, and he said he will support me, he was not lying. So his ability to reason with me was was astonishing because i would have you know thrown my 13 year old self you know out the room and locked the door forever <laughs> you're talking about this now with a lot of you know self-awareness and realizing that you weren't the easiest kid to deal with at that time is there an event or is there an age where you feel like that marks a difference in you realizing kind of the kind of uh, student or son that you were being that then kind of flipped the switch to go the other way Man, yeah, it, w it was probably. Um, I think my awareness and everything was was more so during college. I'd say maturity kind of came through. I was I was had a little more separation. Started to realize, you know, cause and effect and and how things work a little bit more than when I was still living at home. But a, a big changing point was was sort of I don't know. I think it was New Year's. I was I don't know seventeen or eighteen. I just had, I was, I was drinking, um, even though I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to. And my dad and I had a massive falling out about this whole golf thing. And I, I guess I let a little bit more out than I should have during this process. But looking back on it, it was sort of a pivotal moment in my young career to where I was about to, or maybe, yeah, I wasn't in college yet. I was in high school. I was about to go to college. And this was sort of my final commitment, mental commitment to this whole process because we sat and talked and yelled at each other for three hours, probably at two, you know, what, what you want to call it, two in the morning. And it was, you know, I don't know what the exact saying is, but it was, it was a massive healing mm -hmm. process for me mentally because I knew that he was still there to back me, even though I was 
being everything, you know, but a, but a good son, I'd say. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that your experience echoes many, certainly my experience of gnashing teeth and pulling hair as one is growing from an adolescent with their own ideas into a young adult into a grown man. And we very early on think that we're grown men and we've got a lot to learn, don't we? Um, That was certainly my experience. So thanks for sharing that. One of the more common questions that we get from Altus clients and listeners is how do I spin it like a tour player? Well, the first step is to treat your equipment like a tour player, and that means that you've got the right golf ball and you've got fresh grooves. Visit Vokey.com to see the spin research that Bob Vokey and his team have conducted to better understand how grooves wear over time. After 75 to 100 rounds of golf, you owe it to yourself to test your grooves to make sure that they're still getting maximum spin from your wedges. Find a fitter at Vokey.com for a spin test soon. You mentioned a word there, and that word was pivotal moments. And I'm going to jump ahead, even though there are probably many more pivotal moments that feel free to share, even though I might jump over the college experience and the web.com experience, because I want to go to your the first half of your 2017 PGA Tour season, when by, I guess, any measure, 130th on the FedEx Cup list, you're not exactly playing lights out and probably achieving your goals other than kind of finding your footing on the PGA Tour. But then you get into the US Open out of sectionals and something changed. Would you consider this a big pivotal moment? And can you put a finger on what what was the factor or combination of factors that allowed for the top finish in the US Open? Yeah, it was it was a uh, that was a long week. I was yeah, I was a rookie. It was uh, like pivotal moments, a good word or a good term. Again, I was um, it was a Monday in Memphis. I ended up playing with Stricker in, in a in a thirty six hole qualifier. He was trying to qualify for the U.S. Open in his hometown. So I knew when I saw the pairing, I was very excited because I was tired, but I knew I'm going to play with a guy who will not quit no matter what happens to him. And it was an awesome day watching basically trying to chase Steve Stricker into the U.S. Open is sort of how I remember it and trying to learn everything I can from the guy as well. But I think mentally I sort of hit a point with my caddy. We dealt with it on the web.com to where I was doing nothing for call it the whole season. And I had, you know, a month to a month and a half of, of where I made all my money and, and got my tour card and then flash forward to my rookie year on the PJ tour and basically doing carbon footprint or a copy, a exact copy of what I was doing my rookie year on the web where I was doing nothing for call it, I don't know, the whole season, 75% of the season. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's a fire lit under my ass. I, I kind of, like I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slow sort of learner when it comes to certain things, but I was so uncomfortable, both my rookie year on the web, my rookie year on tour. And my, I had a lot of conversations with my caddy. We roomed together, web.com, my rookie year on tour, and even a little bit into my sophomore year on tour. And Sorry, Xander, just as a backstory for the listeners, Austin was also a college teammate, right? So you had a yeah. relationship yeah. dating back a long time with him? Yes, Austin, we've known each other since you know our second year in college. We both transferred in. I transferred from Long Beach State into San Diego State, and Kaiser transferred in from a community college uh, up north in Northern California. So we were familiar with each other, good friends. Um, he played. He's a player sacrificed his, you know, his time. He didn't really want to play golf. He was working for my parents when I, when I hired him as, as my caddy. And he went, we went through Q school web.com and, and here we are on the PJ tour thinking, you know, this is going to be great and all. And 
we're sort of, you know, still grinding it out a little fancier feeling, but same, same story, different mm-hmm. tour. And we had a lot of conversations together. I, I think the way I was raised sort of talking things out is how, how I was brought up and to make sure that the line of communication is always open. So Austin and I had a lot of conversations after Miss Cuts. We called our think tank or whatnot. You know, we'd miss cuts and go to McDonald's and sit in our rental car and figure out what we're trying <laughs> to do with our life. That was sort of our healing process. And we went to this U.S. Open and we were both excited to play with Stricker. And it was it was sort of this time where we looked at each other after we you know we missed our previous cut and we sort of said it's kind of now or never. You know, I've had all this experience, all these failures. I've done it before, which I knew, which was sort of a comforting factor in all this mayhem, but it was sort of a, we called it a, you know, an effort button to where nothing really matters anymore. I have a certain ability. Let's just see if I'm good enough or not and allow myself to play. So it was almost like a, not an out of body experience, but sort of step outside of yourself, you know, and let your, let everything that you've worked on take place or stay in your way and and lose your card. That's sort of the conversation we had. I think that people listening that know that you were rookie of the year, uh, you won twice your rookie year, you got through, you got your PGA Tour card after one web.com season would be surprised to hear you describe yourself as a slow learner just because you that's, that's early success. And I'm curious if there's anything that you and Austin figured out about how to adapt quickly to those situations. Like, just the golf courses. You're seeing all those courses for the first time. And this may lead into conversations that we have about the major venues that you've adapted to really, really quickly and had a lot of early success in. But just curious if there's anything from like a tactical standpoint that you guys figured out earlier than maybe the rest of your peers did. Yeah, it was, it was, it was more so Austin was just, he's, he's supportive. You know, he's a caddy. He's doing his job. He was just there to do whatever I needed. And it was, this was more so of a conversation I had with him to where, if I'm behaving a certain way, I, he's very honest, which I appreciate. And I was asking him how I was behaving. And he said a few words, um, (laughs) but he said I was behaving poorly and it's sort of, you know, I like to consider myself, I'm a very positive person. Very people would know me. I was angry as a kid, but generally very happy, you know, very like a happy baby, a happy kid growing up, you know, nothing ever terrible happened to me. So I have no reason to be, you know, this moody person. And a big conversation I had with my dad growing up was this whole perfectionist talk of me trying to be perfect and me trying to always do things in exact way. And through the process of, of figuring out, there was nothing, I don't think, say too tactical, but we just, it was more of a mental yeah, uh, yeah. mental approach that I took. And I said, hey, if I'm going to be negative, just tell me. I don't care if it's in the middle of a tournament. You just let me know because I'm obviously so in my own way that I can't see past my feet. And he was and he was great about it. And and so I think that was a healing process and very important conversation Austin and I had. We, I mean, th- uh, last year, after having some success, I started to act moody again to where, you know, a little entitled, thinking I should be playing better not working as hard as I was before. And I asked Austin once again, how I was behaving. And he said the exact words that he said to me when I was a rookie on tour. And it sort of clicked again in my mind. So there's certain cues that we have now as a team. And in terms of approaching majors, it's been, he's gotten better. I I was a rookie and he was a rookie caddy. So we grew together, which was, I think makes us a unique team. We know each other, you know, as, as closely as, you know, almost, my girlfriend and his wife know know us, so 
it was it was a growth it was a growth as a team which was really special I think. I've spent enough time around you to know you to be that happy person, always with a smile on your face. In fact, I would say that when the guys are telling me who they're practicing with, as soon as your name comes out, I've got a smile on my face as well because I know you and Austin are going to bring the jokes and bring a good time uh, with that experience. So I appreciate that. I want to go back to 2017 again, specifically to the Greenbrier. And I guess thematically consider this question, learning to win. If you could take us back to that week, did you have a feeling it could be your week? I'd say I, I didn't really think that at that point, but my confidence was sky high. That was that was shortly after the U.S. Open, a huge sigh of relief. And then um, I believe the Travelers was right after the U.S. Open, and I pretty much locked up my card. So at that point, I basically felt like I was playing whatever I was doing was with house money was sort of my mentality. And I, I sort of everything all the weight on my shoulders, everything just sort of left. And it was just, I was back to being a happy camper and smiling and having a good time. And then what do you know? Good golf is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. There's a quote that I like reinforcing. First you get courage and then you get confidence. Now, clearly you came in with a lot of confidence off the US Open, the travels you just expressed, but you also had to stand on the 18th tee and decide between a club and then knock it to three feet to take the lead. Can you speak about to the audience that, haven't yet, and very, very few people will get that opportunity to stand and have that gut check uh, over a shot that is life-changing. It was just a, a compilation of of everything. You know, everything I. It felt like everything I grew up learning from controlled breathing to awareness to just sticking to your routine was sort of what went through on the 18th. It, it was very much a blackout moment, but. I didn't feel like I did anything too different. I didn't sit there and ponder too hard. You know, it, I was in between clubs and Austin, you know, did a great job talking me into a, a shorter club, obviously, because I'm assuming I would have hit a nine iron in the grandstands, but uh, <laughs> it was very much a, a blackout moment for me to where I just was relying on for the last five holes of the tournament. I was just, all I was trying to worry about was my breathing to make sure my pulse was okay. I wasn't going to, you know, do anything out of body to where, you know, I'm trying to hit when, you know, my hands are shaking. So I was just trying to control what I could do and whatever. Right. You know, just, I wasn't worried about the result is basically what took place there. So you spoke to, I guess, elements that the recreational player, even the developing elite player kind of may kind of fall into or figure out along the way, kind of like finding their way in a dark hall or a dark room, um, the breathing, the awareness strategies. Is there something specific that you've developed, uh, like you said, a code between you and Austin or an internal code, something you tell yourself when you're facing difficult shots in a round of golf? And when I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm kind of piggybacking on the question about the shot that can change your life, the shot on 18 that set up your first victory, or maybe even it's just the tee shot on 18 at Sawgrass or 17 at Sawgrass or any any shot that captures your attention because of the difficulty of it, the consequences that uh, that come with those difficult shots. Is there something that you uh, use to summon more courage? Yeah, it, it's sort of how the part of the long talks um, with my dad were, were all, it was all about fear. He, we talked a lot about it on the course, off the course, uh, human interaction and everything, you know, fears, 
you know, the whole fight or flight concept and, and, and how, mm-hmm. you know, the unknown people are scared of the unknown. People are scared of change. People are scared of all kinds of things. You know, I am as well. And unfortunately golf, you know, there's a lot of unknown things are always changing and there's a lot of variables. So there's a lot of reason to be afraid on a golf course. And I think all our talks as a, me as a child growing up of him sort of hammering into my head to be fearless, to not worry about all this stuff helps when I'm in these moments of sort of stress. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I don't really, my heart rate goes up, everything goes up as, as a normal person would, but I never feel like I can't do what needs to be done, if that makes sense. I think in college, when I, I didn't win a whole lot as a kid, you spoke to, you know, about Jordan, Justin, Ollie Schneider, Emiliano, those were sort of the names, Michael Kim in my class, there's Daniel Berger, there's a ton. And they all won a ton as juniors and in college and then on the tour. And as me, I won two, three tournaments in college. I won, I don't even, I can't even remember. I think I won maybe one junior tournament. So I didn't have a whole lot of <laughs> previous memories to fall back on in terms of winning anything since I, I was never really a winner. Uh, and fortunately in golf, you don't really have to be a winner to be great, but we we're always, you know, ranked on our wins. So I, I was sort of sitting there and I just thought about the conversations I had with my dad when I was a kid. And back to that college experience, I, I just remember telling myself over and over again, I, I had the, a one shot lead at my home course and I was starting to get really anxious. <laughs> and I was, and I had, a, you know, a couple chips that I wasn't very good at that I had. I knew I could hit them, but I, I just kept telling myself over and over again while I was walking, you know, if you want to win, you have to do this. If you want to win, you have to do this. If you want to win, you have to do this. I just kept telling myself because at no point can you let yourself think, well, if I don't do this, I'm not going to win. I just said, I have to walk through this if I want to win this tournament. Or if you know, if you don't, if you don't want to win, that's totally fine, kid. That's what I would tell you. Like winning today, that's totally fine, but you can go home. <laughs> <laughs> You'll live to find another day. It gives me chills when you're describing that if if you want to win, you have to do that. It, that it's well, this it's it's your dad's voice in your head calling and challenging you to lean in it's um another expression the only way out is through it i absolutely love it but you also maybe not prior to starting to run the pga tour you were you had your stretches of consistency maybe not nearly as consistent as your first three seasons on tour where you've finished third 15th and second on the fedex cup is there anything that you can point to that you figured out from week to week practice, from travel hacks that can be pointed to as the source of such consistent good play? I'd say more so the, the whole traveling aspect. Yeah, web.com, I learned a lot about traveling and, and how that whole process works. Fortunately, on the PJ Tour, they make traveling a lot easier for you, which is nice. Um, and no more McDonald's. Yeah, that was a nice hack. Yeah, no, no more McDonald's on the miscut. Um, we'll definitely try not to. I learned that McDonald's isn't the best fuel for your body. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say it's more so tendencies. The way I was taught was was sort of to... My dad always asked me when I was younger, I think I was 10 or 11. He asked me if I want to be a Freddie Couples or if I want to be more of a Tiger Woods in terms of do I want to be sort of like Freddie and, and, and swing smooth and swing beautifully and not really care about what's going on or do I want to be more like tiger know everything about your swing know you know the cause and effect know what does this what does that and so I said I want to be tiger woods 
And he said, okay. And so from a very young age, he would explain to me during our lessons why this was happening, why that was happening. And, and a tr- what a true, you know, a true ball flight versus you, you bailing on a shot. It was a very hard thing when I look back on it, you know, he, I remember he'd sit there and yell at me just to, to let go of the club, like just swing normally. He goes, stop fighting it, stop fighting it. And then I would hit, you know, 10 duck hooks in a row and he'd be happy. And I'd be like, so confused. And of course, and I'm like, you know, it's genius. Like, of course, you know, you got to see what the real ball flight is to make any correct changes. And I think, you know, those young, those experiences from a young age has sort of helped me be consistent now. Um, just because I, I feel comfortable in, in what I'm doing. And, and when I see there's no sort of shot, my body can hit that. I haven't seen if that makes sense. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. Building on the tournament prep and kind of being consistent week in and week out, if we were to watch a from Monday through Wednesday or whenever you get at the tournament until uh, the day before, is there anything that you think that we would notice as being particularly different or exceptional than what other people are doing or what we're accustomed to seeing others do? No. Um, you maybe be like, creeped out that I'm always trying to watch Jordan, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are my, 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 my guys who I watch chip, you know, I, I'd say there's still, you know, a few weaknesses in my game and, even now, you know, I think another travel hack would have or comfortable deal as on tour was I try to learn from everyone. You know, at no point did I think I was the cheese or better than anyone or anything. I figured if, if I can look at everyone and sort of try and find general ideas of what everyone's doing, how they go, you know, what time of day they practice, when they work out. You know, even now I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what, what the best do and compare myself to it. That's just sort of, I I don't know if that's natural or not, but yeah, I just, I just enjoy watching other people, you know, and how they practice. And then I'll sort of integrate it if I, if I see it fit. How many weeks of the year, how many tournament weeks do you have your dad there as coach? He's always there as coach, but he's just recently, he's been more there as dad or friend. He's just been hanging out. He's, I'm not sure a lot, I'd say. Probably last year, he's probably out to 75% of my events. Yeah. And, and so is there any, because, I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know that he was working with other players, obviously not working to with another player that reached the top 10 in the world. So have you seen an evolution in how you guys have worked together as he's evolved along with you, as you said that you and your caddy had kind of a similar process. And, and I read something that you hadn't looked at your, a video of your golf swing till you were almost 18 years old. So I'm assuming there has been some evolution there. Yeah, he still hates it. He hates. <laughs> he still hates when I video my swing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He he told me I will video your swing when it's perfect, and I'm sorry, son, it's just not perfect. So that's <laughs> that's that's what he tells me. Um, but you know, I, I video my when he's not there, or if he's you know talking to someone else or or whatnot. I'll I'll sort of take you know have Austin or uh, take a video of my swing, and you know, Kaiser's learned a lot too. He's sort of we've taught I've taught him sort of everything I know um, about the game and, and how I go about my process of trying to figure out, you know, what the main problem is, as my dad would call it, peeling the onion or something like that. Um, and so I, I say the evolution is how we, we just work less now, you know, a couple of phone calls here and there, but 
everything's injury prevention at this point. I'd say that we're trying to work on just body wise. That's, 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 you know, I, I, I'm supposed to take care of that on my, on my own time in the gym with, with the trainers and physios, but swing wise, we believe that, you know, most of the changes I need to make to my swing will be in the gym. So it's kind of a tricky thing with me and him. I mean, he'll come out and watch me hit. And if I need that, you know, extra dose of confidence, uh, he'll give it to me. What specific capacities, strength, mobility, power are you uh, focused on in the gym? And what is the, I guess, the value that you're looking at, looking for from that? More so I have, I'm, I'm bendy guy. I have a ton of mobility less. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm weak, but just like every golfer, very lopsided. I've been swinging one direction for 26 years, probably like a gazillion to one ratio on right to lefty swings. And so trying to just, it's hard, you know, we do play, you know, 25 weeks a year and a lot of travel and, and whatnot. So I'd say on a personal note, I, I need to do a little bit better of, of keeping the, the patterns and everything while I'm on the road. When I'm home, I'm great. Go to the gym, all that. But when I start traveling, I get lazy. Don't want to go to the gym as much. And uh, the body becomes very lopsided from swinging one direction. Uh, we, I, think, I think as you guys both know, golf isn't the greatest motion for your body. So just trying to take my time to make it balanced. And through that process, it'll be easier for me to swing more efficiently, I'd say, from a power standpoint to also just having you know less achy parts maybe i mean i i think every golfer is achy after they play and it's just a matter of time you know before the physio has to line you back up basically yeah i, I read the something similar about tiger uh quote-unquote bendy guy and then i queried him about a year ago on whether that was true and then what his remedy or workaround for that was and i was just absolutely shocked at the response he gave me he says i lift and i lift pretty heavy before i play and it restricts my range of motion is that one of your tactics I have tried that and I'm just not, I know Rory went through that phase too, where he was obsessed with lifting and loved playing sore mm -hmm. and Tiger was in that same, you know, at the president's cup, I asked him a little bit about it as well. And I asked him, you know, how he changed his footwork and stuff like that. And he literally just said some surgeries and I got old. That was his answer. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope for me yet then. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's not quite what I was looking for. Maybe I was just searching for the golden nugget, but I was like, thank you for your honesty. <laughs> how many hours, like if you added up the hours at the end of a week, how many hours would you spend in isolated practice on skills away from the golf course? Then how many hours on the actual golf course playing golf? And then how many hours in the gym doing some either lifting, stretching or physical therapy, et cetera? Yeah, gym time to physio time in a week is probably, I'd say, it's not that much, honestly. Maybe, eight, I don't know, eight to 10 hours a week, maybe, yeah. ballpark. Golf, I love playing golf now. I, I'd say it's sort of my new, not new, but I, I feel like that gets me the best prepared is, is when I do play some money games, you know, back at home, whether it's, you know, foursome or fivesome. Just to get as many games as I can get going, it just sort of brings out my competitive na like com tournament nature i'd say uh mm -hmm. i hate losing and whether it's for five dollars or you know whatever you want it to be i just want to win and so when i go out to tournaments uh it makes me feel a lot more fresh so in terms of play wise i'd say you know i i, I try to play when i have a free week at least you know five times a week at least um practice when i'm home is minimal i don't really try to hit too many balls 30 minutes a day if I do go every day, if that. Putting a ton. I put a lot. Um, a couple hours 
every time I'm at the course and, but mostly playing, you know, if I, if I can play 27 or even more, I will. It's a great recommendation for anyone out there listening, looking to develop their skills is do enough on the range to get good enough. And then don't sit on the range or the practice green or the short game area and figure out a way to hit it bad. Go out and test your skills either in isolation by yourself or hopefully with some context, some uh, money on the line like you do with Nahum and Charlie and the rest of the crew out in California. That's right. I've got another question for you, and this is going back to major championships. You've played in 11, I think, and you've top 10 in five of them. So clearly playing under pressure and difficult courses, you've got some sort of secret sauce. And you can or cannot disclose what that secret sauce is. I'll leave that open-ended. But moreover, the question is, what have you learned about being in contention at the Open when you play with Jordan? The US Opens and then last year's Masters, it'll change maybe the way you approach something next time you're in contention. Yeah, I don't say there's any secret sauce. I wish there was. I've been asked that question before. It's just preparation. I think we've, the, the team, we figured out sort of what makes me prepare the best um, in terms of how early we show up. I haven't gone, as weird as it may seem, I haven't really gone out to, to the majors like super early. Like I won't even make, I live on the West Coast, so it's kind of inconvenient, but I won't, you know, the Masters, I went out once before to play it. And then after that, I've, I've only played the Masters in the tournament besides the one time I went and it was about 38 degrees and <laughs> not ideal. And I, I played all 18 because <laughs> I was, I was there and I was so excited and I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, the fairways were like two inches long and it was just so wet. And I was like, Oh man, this is not really good, but it's still cool. It's still Augusta national. It's still Augusta national. So I'd say preparation. My caddy's gotten really good at, at you know, making me feel comfortable with our, I wouldn't call it limited, but you know, our, our shortened schedule into the major, a lot of people, you know, take different routes. So I'd say, I think it was more of a lucky thing. I think I've just gotten, become comfortable quickly in majors. As weird as that may sound, when I get comfortable in something, I usually thrive and, and play very well. And for some reason in majors, I've become more comfortable and um, for whatever, I couldn't tell you why or how, but you know, I show up and I know it's a big week and I'm excited and it almost calms me down versus making me freak out as, as odd as that may sound. I don't remember the back end of your question. Oh, uh, Jordan at the open. No, more, moreover, the question specifically is now you've been in contention. Is there something that we're going to see you do differently, change tactics when you're in contention, either being more aggressive or more conservative? And I'm just tossing those out there as options. I'm not trying to, uh, let's, let's say fill the question or fill the answer for you. Yeah. The open is a great example. I think I was hoping that. It just, what I learned was, you know, Jordan is cruised through majors, um, or at least it looked like it on television when I watched it. And so I was very excited to play with him in a final group. We got off to, you know, what could be collectively the worst start, you know, in, in a nine hole stretch. And we were feeding off each other. I mean, Jordan, we, he came over to me on the, on the 10th tee box and gave me in, in a fist bump and was like, come on, like, let's, let's, <laughs> we're pulling for each other at this point to get back in this tournament because we were playing so bad. Right. And that was really cool for me to see because, you know, you'd assume that, you know, a guy who's cruised through majors would never have, you know, a fault like he had there. And it sort of taught me that majors are hard to win. You know, it's, it's not really like it, it really isn't a normal tournament. It's not a walk in the park. Ever, there is something about it that us players can't really describe. And that was a really cool learning experience for me that 
we were able to, you know, I was able to claw back into the tournament and give myself a chance at the end. So I was able to leave the property, you know, with my head held high and, and sort of, you know, down in the ground. Um, the Masters is a completely different example because I was tied for the lead and I was on the 15th tee box and I remember I was over my golf ball and I, my thought, I literally thought this to myself was, wow, you're leading the Masters. That's literally <laughs> what I myself. So it was a very, um, and then I blow my tree, my, my drive out to the right and in the trees and you know, everyone's burning the hole. And it was, a, and you know, the next hole, famous 16th, Austin and I were in between clubs. At no point did we even think of using the slope on the right. You know, like every other guy's done in every video that we've seen. So, <laughs> yeah, a certain level of immaturity that came out and clearly showed me that, you know, I'm capable of winning, but I'm definitely not ready to win this right now unless someone hands it to me because I was not thinking straight and my mind was everywhere and I was trying to calm myself down. It was different stakes, different environment, and it wasn't that I was uncomfortable, but I, I was definitely beside myself and everyone always asked me if I'm bummed out about the masters and you know on 18 I went hit in the left bunker then I hit in the front left bunker and I got up and down from 50 feet making a 20 footer for par so that felt like a huge win to me versus Mm -hmm. finishing in fifth place so I think moving forward there needs to be sort of my mentality where I was at the green buyer where I was in control of my emotions all day more so in my head. I don't think it's so much my playing ability. I think it's more so how I handle, you know, my thought process and my awareness and my breathing and all, and all that stuff. We're going to hit you with a few quick hitters before we let you go. If you've got time for us, you've given us 45 minutes with a lot of really cool insights. Toughest round of golf you've ever played. And I think Cameron and I talked about this before. I'm wearing my Royal Portrush sweatshirt right now. I think I've got an idea of what it would be, but just wondering if it's anything different. Yeah. No, that, that's got to be it. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> yeah. Some nasty conditions. Who's your favorite practice round partner or four ball? Somebody that you're, when you see them head to the first or 10th tee, you're trying to catch up with them for a good game. Probably right now, uh, Patrick Cantlay. He's, he's been my, he was my dog at the President's Cup. So I'm, I'm going to ride with my partner here. Finally enough, we've got a conversation coming up with Patrick as well. So we'll bait him with the same question. And if he doesn't say <laughs> you, we'll certainly edit it he's out. Not <laughs> saying my name out of kindness. I can promise you that. <laughs> I love it. You get done with a, with a round or a tournament and you scan the leaderboard. Who do you take great pleasure in beating, if anyone? The golf course. I don't really care. Honestly, doesn't really matter. Love it. I love it. What's the worst strategy mistakes that you see uh, maybe aspiring professional or collegiate players make that you look around with your peers in the PGA Tour that you just don't see people making anymore? Panic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, when you've got a low round going, as you do quite often, what's the mindset? Every time I have a low round going, I don't even know I have a low round going. Mm. So forget about it. Ignore it. Be present. I'm so beyond myself that I'm just worried about what's going on and in my own way that I don't even realize what I'm at. One more. One more quick hitter because we've had a debate about this. Swing thoughts. As you're over the ball, is, and some players will call them more I have a sensation over it. It's not exactly like a, a thought process that I have. What percentage of rounds have you played where you've been void of any swing thoughts at all? A lot. I, I really don't. That's how I was raised. I, I, I don't think anything. I think target when I'm over the ball, I, I have a the, the pin picked out, you know, in space. You know, if I close my eyes, I try and point at the target to see where it is. If I'm pointing 50 yards right of it, I should probably practice a little bit more of, of where I'm aiming. And 
Besides that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a no swing thought guy. I just hit it. Thank you, Xander, so much for your time. As a close, if you could think back to the 13-year-old version of yourself and maybe through the lens of other 13-year-old, 15-year-old athletes out there listening to you, what advice would you close with? For starters, you know, to the parents, I'd say it's easy to be overbearing because you care so much and want your kid to succeed. Um, I think there's a level of independence that your kid needs to learn at a certain age. And for the kids, I'd say the opposite of, not the opposite of the contrast of just know that your parents and everyone around you is there to help you. If you can sit back when you're really angry, you're crying, anything, just realize that people that are the hardest on you or talking to you are actually trying to help you, not attack you. That's beautiful. We can't thank you enough for your time. Amazing sentiments, lots of knowledge coming out, and we'll be cheering for you next week and in weeks to come throughout the entire 2020 season. I look forward to uh, seeing you here in a few weeks. Yes, sir. Thanks, boys. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge.